This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. This is The Talking Dead, number 340, recorded on Monday, the 16th of October, 2017. So, Jason, no screwing around tonight, man. We have a lot of podcasting to do. We've got two full episodes to talk about, a big announcement to make, and listener feedback to read. So there's a lot going on this evening. Get it done, Chris. Get it done. That's what I intend on doing. Um, Of course, it's season finale week for Fear the Walking Dead. As I said, two episodes we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, I want to announce something that I think is going to be super, super awesome. Cool. And I'm very excited. Uh, As most people know who listen, Jason and I have Amazon links that we often ask or beg you to click when you do your shopping at Amazon. And uh, usually that means a tiny little cut of your purchase comes back to us and it just helps with the cost of putting on the show and stuff like that. But we're going to do something different for the month of November. And that is... All the money that we generate from Amazon, and by we, I mean all of us, you, me, everybody who uses those links, all that money that comes to us, we are going to total up and donate to charity. I think this is a really going to be a really nice, great thing to do. Uh, That's not why we're doing it, just to make me feel good. But, you know, it's coming up to the holidays. People will be doing lots of shopping, I suspect. And... We've been doing this for a long time. Everyone's been extremely generous, and I feel like it's about time we sort of gave something back in that respect. I agree. I think this is great. This is uh, this is happy time for me for doing that. I like that. <laughs> happy fun time for Jason. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a lot of a lot of sleep last night, so uh, don't expect positive sentence structure. Well, I'm sure you'll get through it as we go through the night. So here here's how it's going to work. It's going to be the Talking Dead November charity push. Do you have a better name for it? I do not. All right. Well, we should have come up with a good name. Charity Drive? Talking Dead November Charity Drive? Sure. Something like that. Uh, As I said, all the money from all of our Amazon stores, again, if you've been listening, you know that we've got a US store, a Canadian store, a bunch of others. We're going to total it all up and we are going to make one lump sum donation to the Canadian Cancer Society once we know what the total is uh, in December sometime. So we'll likely know by, uh, you know, by our podcast for the main show mid-season finale, which looks to be on December the 10th. So the next day, that Monday the 11th, that should be when we know. But, uh, and, and we'll announce it then, be totally open and let everyone know how much we, we generated and, uh, and we'll be donating. So what do you need to do to help out with this cause or this uh, drive? It's very simple. It's the same as always. Just use our Amazon links when you do any shopping at Amazon in the month of November. November 1st to the uh, 30th. Are there 30 days in November? Uh, yeah, there are 30 days in November. There's actually 30 days in a lot of months, but the end of the month is the 30th of November. All right. So the 1st to the 30th. And um, as I said, you can do it in any of our Amazon stores. So visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon. Uh, you can click on Canada, the United States, the UK, France, Germany, or Spain. 
and we'll add it all up regardless of which one you do. Now, you may be wondering, why the Canadian Cancer Society? Um, well, a couple of reasons. Number one, Jason and I both have members of our family who have been affected by cancer. Mm -hmm. In my case, it's my mother-in-law. She died of cancer, and of course, it's affected my wife's life a fair bit in the last couple of years. And we debated back and forth what, you know, what charities to go for. We, we considered a whole bunch. Uh, we also considered splitting the money up amongst, say, the Canadian Cancer Society or the American Cancer Society and, uh, you know, other ones around the, around the world. Um, but it was a little bit difficult for two reasons. Number one, um, you know, it, it, it sort of, it, it becomes weird for people of one country making donations to, uh, another country. It sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. Or, and, and by that, I mean, sometimes you can do it and sometimes it's just not allowed for tax reasons and all those kinds of silly things. So we decided to just keep it simple and, um, and just donate it to the one. And since we're Canadian, we're based in Canada, we had to go with the Canadian Cancer Society. And the other thing is, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters that much because no matter where cancer research is being done, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Wherever it's it's being done, it's uh, they're researching. And I'm sure they all work together, the Canadian Cancer Society and the American Cancer Society. They share information. They're scientists for crying out loud. Well, we certainly hope so. And that's the idea. And, and if there's a massive breakthrough in Canadian research, you know, that information is shared across the world. So... Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll keep talking about this as the month uh, goes on, but visit talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon and click on one of those links before you do your shopping for the month. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this. I hope we generate more than we've ever generated before in a single month from our Amazon links. And it's all going to go to a very good cause. Yep, absolutely. Good. All right. Uh, now we're going to move all the listener feedback to the end of the show today because it is a season finale week and we don't want to delay getting into the episodes at all if we can. So we will have a bit of feedback about last week's episode as well as some emails about this week's episode. But right now, without further ado, we're going to jump into Fear the Walking Dead season three, episode 15 and 16. Things bad begun and sleigh ride. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lee from St. Catharines, our uh, becoming our regular title reader. <laughs> I'm going to keep asking him, where's my hat? Oh, yeah. He hasn't found your hat yet. That's right. <laughs> no, I haven't heard back about my hat. <laughs> All right. So we've got these two episodes. Uh, bad Things Begun is number 15 and Sleigh Ride is number 16. And Sleigh Ride, I guess, is technically the real season finale. Um, but I've got notes sort of on them separately. So I think we'll just start with 15 and, and go through and just see how it goes. How do you feel about that? I feel super duper about that, Christopher. Super duper. All right. Well, now that I said that, I want you to give me your like three sentence summary of both episodes as a season finale. Three sentence summary. I well, don't think I can do that. That's two sentences. Uh... <laughs> Okay, not summary, but like, did you like it or them? Uh, I liked aspects of both of them. I don't think that they were both uh, completely awesome. I don't think, uh, I think they were slightly let down from the awesome uh, 
episodes we've seen in the past, not counting last week, but uh, I thought they were okay, hmm. generally. Okay. That's unfortunate, because I thought, for the most part, these were really good. Really two good, solid episodes, and I thought episode 16... With the exception of a couple of little things, and and I'm going to try not to nitpick it too much, but I thought it was a really, really solid, if not very, very good season finale. The season finale, the last episode, uh, Sleigh Ride, uh, I liked more than uh, Things Bad Begun. But Mm. yeah, I just, I, I had questions and concerns there was parts of it parts of these episodes that i'm sure we'll get to that i really enjoyed and there were parts that just didn't uh didn't make any sense to me right well let's let's start then at the beginning with uh with bad things bad begun uh we we basically find out right at the beginning that nick and troy decided to stay at the trading post um and you know you said well obviously they're staying there for the drugs because that's where the drugs are and nick wants the drugs but it turns out, I mean, they kind of had to stay so that they could almost immediately stumble upon the Proctor's plans and pass that information on to everybody else. I mean, in the first three minutes of that episode, we find out that the Proctor's planning to attack the dam. Yes, we did. That was awfully convenient that they happened to find that out. Right. So Nick is sitting in the bar and Troy is wandering around and just comes across some guys getting ready to go. You know, I, I got to say something about the opening scene. The oh. one shot, and it's probably uh, all things Greg Nicotero. There was one shot, you know, Nick was cutting off uh, zombie heads and bringing them back to the bar to sell for, uh, you know, that, that jar of pickled brain parts that yep. he was taking for drugs. So he mm-hmm. was basically collecting more of that. Uh, and there was, so he's cutting off zombie heads and bringing them back. He's filling his shopping cart full of zombie heads. There was one shot of a body without a zombie head. And it like was just the, uh, it was the neck and you could see the throat hole in the neck and the bit of the spine. Yeah. And it was, it, this is the first time that I've ever actually been grossed out by the, the <laughs> Walking Dead. It was, I just, it, I actually made the sound, it was, and it, it's kind of freaking me out now. Like this is the, the actual first time, like a lot of the gore in the past have been, you know, hey, that was good. That was well done. You know, I can appreciate that. Or that was really stupid. I didn't like that. That looked really fake. This is the first time I actually felt gross. That's, well, that's a it. good thing, I think. It is a good thing. I wanted to point that out, that it was a very good thing. And it, uh, you know, I've seen severed rabbit heads in the backyard, in my backyard, and I've picked up, you know, dead rabbits here and there. Uh and various birds and things, but in some of them have been pretty gross, but this is the first time that television has done that to me with something that was obviously fake. Man, you got to stop killing so many rabbits in your backyard. Well, you know, it's a, it's a habit. Right. You know, every once in a while, you just got to, you have to, you get, you know, you get stressed out and you got to relax a little bit. <laughs> go and strangle go a rabbit. Yeah. Go kill a rabbit, cut its head off. Well, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't do that, Chris. That's horrible that you would think that I would do that. Of course, of it, course. It was the raccoons that killed the rabbit and it tried to pull it through the fence and it pulled his friggin' head off. It was so gross. That's pretty gross. I well, couldn't eat in the friggin' kitchen for like two weeks afterwards because I was just looking at the back fence going, Ugh. <laughs> Well, was, and you did that with this zombie in this episode. Yes. Uh, what grossed me out was when he brings the heads back and the guy behind the bar just starts meat cleavering their faces off. Like that was 
pretty nasty. It didn't bother me even a little bit. Oh, wow. I was just seeing that friggin' throat hole. Blah. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and, and watch for that. I didn't, I didn't notice the throat hole. What felt inconsistent about this scene to me was, though, that last week, Nick is, you know, wants that brainstem high, and he eats it, and he goes for the drug thing, and now, suddenly... He's walking around collecting brain stems, and he doesn't seem to have any urge to have one. And well, maybe he was just chewing down on some on the way back. Just like I just popping feel... one in his mouth, chewing it like uh, like a Pringles. And, and and I will say right now that in the feedback, we have a number of emails from people about Nick's addiction and the way they portrayed the drug use last week. We will get to that. And but I just feel like this was inconsistent. Last week, this is what he wanted, and. We hadn't seen that before for a long time, and now all of a sudden he's hanging around the drugs. They're right there. They're available to him, but he doesn't seem to have any desire to take them. And we'll get into it later, and it's clear that I have no obvious understanding of how these things work, but uh, it didn't feel true to me. So that's yeah. what I didn't like about this uh, opening. Um, but we move on to uh, Madison and Strand. They're up on top of the dam, and they're having a conversation which kind of, to me, felt like foreshadowing for the whole rest of of these two episodes, really. You know, Madison's talking about how what she wanted out of the ranch and how she wanted to have holidays and Christmas and everyone together, and she feels like she could have had that at the uh, at the ranch, but she doesn't see it happening here at the uh, at the dam. Yeah, and she was talking about turkey with all the fixings, and I just did that for uh, Thanksgiving. So it was nice to have Canadian Thanksgiving uh, last weekend and hearing her go, because uh, I like turkey. I yep. like the stuffing. I like cranberry sauce specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was nice to to hear that she makes a, a nice traditional Christmas dinner like that. Yeah, of course, and we got to see it later on. So, yeah. um, But the whole scene, I sort of felt like was the two of them standing there just giving us little hints about what was to come. Of course, the back half of that conversation was Strand admitting that he'd never actually murdered anyone and Madison telling him, well, your time's going to come, buddy. Your your time is coming. Yeah, he's lucky that uh, he never had to murder anybody. I feel the same way about me. Absolutely. I feel extremely yeah. lucky about that. Yeah. Um, so let's see, before we get into... Uh, you know, Alicia and meeting the proctor and stuff like that. We get Troy and Madison working. They decide that they're going to, um, uh, they're going to rig up the explosives in the dam. Oh, sorry. Of course they, they, they are told there, uh, Nick comes and tells them that Strand has made a deal with Proctor John. Right. Um, and, uh, that the proctors are going to come to attack the dam and take it over. Can't, can't skip over that point. No, you can't skip over that point. And uh, yeah, I was absolutely wrong. I figured Strand was doing something in cahoots with uh, with Madison. Uh, so uh, we in, but no, he was just doing it to be self serving. I'm not sure exactly. Well, that's what Nick accused him of, right? That he even when uh, even when Strand admitted to Nick that yes, I made this deal, but I've I made it on the condition that you guys are safe, that you're protected, you and your family. Um, but that's what Nick says, right? He's like, yeah, well, maybe so, but what are you getting out of it? Because you wouldn't do it if you weren't getting something out of it too. 
Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand the logic where it was going to happen anyway. So by joining in, I at least get something out of it. Uh, that's like saying uh, the zombie apocalypse is coming. So why not murder my whole family? No. Like, well, Strand, Strand says that it's it's coming anyways. So he said what he tried to do is make a deal with the proctor to make the assault on the dam easy. Basically open the door for them so they can walk right in. On two conditions. One, that Madison and Nick and Alicia and that family is protected and safe. Basically, they won't kill them when they attack. And the other condition is that Strand gets to be <laughs> the leader of this dam for a while. Uh, he I gets see. to be the head guy in charge there. The Viceroy. I, the Viceroy, yeah. I, but maybe just another one of the proctors, because apparently there's a whole load of proctors. Um, so Strand... You know, while he's basically doing this to save himself and put himself in a position of power, he justifies it to himself by saying, well, I'll guarantee safety for some of my friends. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's he certainly wasn't working in cahoots with Madison, but he was trying to sort of do the right thing. Nah, he was just trying to be self-serving. But all the while, yeah, the right thing is kind of... Uh, Nebulous. Don't you say. think that doing this though is potentially one way to give everybody what they want with the least amount of bloodshed or loss of life? <sighs> right. I think it's. In, I'm just trying to say. I think his intentions were were okay-ish. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but the the ends don't necessarily justify the means either. True. I, I don't know. It's very it's very much a gray area, which is what one thing that the the Walking Dead excels at is to you know find that gray area, that moral gray, yep. that you know fuzzy moral gray area, and dig into it and see what they can do. So good on them for doing that. Yeah, I I'm I just think that uh, you're right. That's sort of what the Walking Dead does. No one is is good or bad, but. I think at its core, Strand sort of had the right idea. Look, they're going to attack anyways, so maybe if we just make this easy uh, and I guarantee the survival of some people, maybe nobody has to die if if I can just open the door and let them walk in. But, of course, it didn't go down that way, um, and everyone at the dam finds out about the plan, so they decide that they are going to try to defend it and fight back a little bit. And knowing that they don't have enough weapons or probably the experience against a big team of proctors, they decide that they're going to use some of the C4 that the dam has on hand and they're going to rig it up and blow the dam if they have to. So the way they said that the reason they have this C4 is it's left over from constructing the dam. Right. It's in storage in the dam. <laughs> Okay, so first of all, no. Second of all, why would you store enough C4 during the construction of a dam to blow up the dam? Because someday there might be a zombie apocalypse and a group of people are going to attack the dam for the water and you need to blow it up. Right. Anyway, the fact that that C4 is there is dumb. Well, I, I know what you mean. But I didn't think that at the time, and when they do actually blow up the dam later on, I thought it was amazing. Well, at least they didn't say dynamite, because dynamite degrades over time, and eh? we all know what happened to Arst in uh, the first season of The Walking Dead. Or sorry, the first season of Lost. Yeah, that's we right. We were watching Lost, and that was fun. But uh, yeah, at least C4 is, you know, 
stable, right? So you can store it for, I guess, longer periods of time than dynamite. But uh, why would you store it in a dam? You need a license for that stuff, right? There's got to be like a holding facility. And for every gram that you use to construct something, first of all, I'm not sure you would use C4, but I don't know anything. So don't uh, don't jump down my throat if I don't know that C4 is being used. I, I always thought C4 was a military explosive. Anyway, not a construction explosive. So you would take that and they would account for every single gram of this explosive being used in the construction of whatever, and then not have any leftover. And if you do have some leftover, you wouldn't just leave it there and go, eh, they'll probably use it someday, right? Well, you wouldn't think you would need it again once the dam is built. You don't want to have that risk, right? If something happens and yeah. that stuff explodes, that's that's the wrong place for that to happen. If there is so a, they had a enough C4, enough uh, whatever they used to connect it all together, to wire it all up. They had the expertise to do this. They had the expertise to uh, construct a wireless remote detonator uh, without worrying about <laughs> interfering frequencies. Because, you know, when you're driving through a construction site, have you ever driven through a site where they're doing blasting? Uh, probably not in a while. There's a big stupid sign saying, turn off your transmitters. Like mm-hmm. if you have any kind of transmitter, turn it off. Cause there's a, you know, there's, there's a chance, there's a small chance, but there's a chance that you're going to use the same frequency that we're using to blow shit up. And we don't want to accidentally blow shit up. Hmm. So, uh, they're just walking around. It's like, yeah, everything's armed. I mean, there's two buttons, but still there's those two radio frequencies that uh, could easily be, you know, spoofed or accidentally, because it's not a sophisticated uh, trigger mechanism that uh, is like encrypting the transmission or over some kind of uh, weird subspace <laughs> channel. No, it was two switches <laughs> with yeah. with covers over them. They had switch covers. Yeah, I got a bag full of those. Yeah, see? Anyways, <laughs> it may not have been a realistic plan, but I think it was a fun and entertaining plan. So I'm yeah. giving it a pass on that grounds alone. Uh, I can't. Okay. I'm sorry, I can't. Right. I can't give it a pass. It's just, it goes too far in, too far in the realm of ridiculous. All right, well. Like, sure, zombies are walking the earth and everybody has friggin' grenade guns, uh, you know, grenade launchers. No problem, but I, I just can't, I can't get, I can't get there with this, you know, store of enough C4 to blow up a dam. C4 in a dam? No way. <laughs> no way. All right. Well, let's talk about Alicia instead. And we'll All talk right. about more about the dam exploding later. Uh, Alicia. So she's driving around with Diana and they don't get very far until they're in a massive car wreck. And I thought this car accident and subsequent scene was uh, actually really good. It was good. This is one of the things I liked. I like it when uh, you get... Uh, I like it when you get T-boned is what I was about to say, but I don't actually like that. It's never happened to me personally, but I'm sure it's very unpleasant experience overall. Jason loves a good T-boning, everybody. I like it when they show it on television. Every time they show somebody, like the camera is showing somebody and they're looking out the window and out the window is in focus. Mm -hmm. I worry about cars coming and banging in because this is a trope. It's done in TV and movies all over the place. And I kind of like that and I watch for it. And as soon as I saw that scene set up, I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. It was only a half a second, but. You know, I, it- I just finished watching a show where there was, I won't say which one for risk of spoilers, but there's a scene like that in the show. And 
it was a slightly different take on that exact scene and it subverted my expectations a little bit and I loved it. It was really, really cool. I'll tell you off air. And if anyone really wants to know what it is, ask in an email and I'll, I'll write you back. Cool. I'm curious. All right. Um, but I liked the Alicia car wreck scene. The only thing I didn't like about it is that Alicia was so reluctant to kill those guys. Like they crash, they get out, they attack them. And then instead of shooting anyone, she shoots in the air to scare them off. Uh, especially after they've like broken Diana's leg too. So I thought maybe she should have at least shot a couple of guys and maybe the rest ran away rather than just scaring them away. You want to see a lot of murder in your TV, don't you? Well, I feel like in this situation, those guys are obviously trying to kill them or take their stuff, but she just tries to, she just scares them away with the gun instead. So, um, other than, other than that though, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Good fight scene. Diana was badass and, uh, was great. Now it did take me a minute though, to figure out how, uh, Alicia and Diana went from being in that street with a broken leg into the doctor's office though. That's pretty abrupt. Yeah. We cut away to something else. And then when we come back, they're right there and she's talking to the doctor. But after I watched it again, she actually tells the doc that she set Diana's leg in the street and then dragged her to the bull ring. And the bull ring is that stadium where the, where the, uh, trading post is. Right. Um, so they, they, they found their own way there. Um, pretty easily. Like it just glossed over that whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty easily and it was a little abrupt and a little bit jarring for me when I didn't really quite understand how they got there, but at least they tried to explain it. Um, and then if we stick with Alicia for now, she ends up meeting Proctor John, who's a guy I've been curious about for a while. I'm and so glad it's this actor. So he's played by Ray McKinnon. I don't know Ray, but tell me what you know Ray from. I know Ray from Deadwood. We've got so many Deadwood actors oh, in this yeah. show. Uh, Ray was in Deadwood and in Deadwood, he had a tumor. So the poor guy gets tumors in uh at least a couple of shows that, uh, that I've seen him in, but he was so good in Deadwood and he's, and I was so, I'm so glad to see him in this. Well, I will take, I'll take your word for it that he was good in Deadwood, but I got to say, I thought he was amazing on this show too. I, I don't know this guy, but I'm really interested in what he can do now. Cause I thought he was great. Uh, but before I get into that with Alicia showing up there and meeting him, we learn a little bit about what's going on with the trading post. He explains to her that there are multiple proctors, a whole bunch, actually. I thought at this point there was at least nine, but it turns out there's many, many more. And they've all been forming sort of a network of these trading posts, um, working together. So that was pretty interesting, I thought. And I thought it was a, you know, a good sort of quick little information dump for us to sort of get a feeling for what's going on and what the deal is with this one trading post that we've, uh, we've found. Yep. Yeah. They're building a whole network. Yeah, Fun. exactly. All, what did he say? All the way from like Texas to the, um, to the San Diego, to the West coast, right? Yeah. It's right across half, halfway across the, the South there. Um, yeah. That's all very, uh, that's all very good. You know, things rarely go to plan. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. As you said, if you say the plan out loud, it's down, bound to fail. Yeah. Um, but what Proctor John asks Alicia to do is participate in 
surgery he's about to have because he has a tumor which I think is on his lower spine somewhere yep. down on the lower uh, the lower back there and uh he needs well the doctor who treated Diana is going to do the surgery and the doctor needs an assistant in the room and they of course both say yeah it's no big deal you just have to be there to hand over the odd instrument and make sure everything's okay uh, and really make sure I'm okay. But if the surgery doesn't go well, everybody in the room gets executed. Yeah. You know, so standard stuff. Well, yeah, no pressure. I assume I doctors guess. are under that kind of pressure all the time, right? Uh, you got to be able to thrive under that kind of pressure, right? Yeah. Cause you know how to make a programmer program faster. You put a gun to his head. <laughs> that's right. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily that's never happened to me, but. No, but according to TV, that's what you do, right? Oh. So it's the same thing here is, uh, you know, if you want a doctor to focus, you uh, threaten his life. Like, don't distract him or anything. Just make sure that he knows that if anything goes wrong whatsoever in this uh, ad hoc kind of crazy post-apocalyptic surgery, that uh, he's going to die immediately. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure at all. Do your job or you're dead, buddy. Just, just relax. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why in, uh, you know, medical TV shows we hear that they put on the radio or they turn on music, right? Mm -hmm. And I assume that surgeons do that. They, they do. You know, uh, to relax them. Like, you, you don't want to be shaky. No, that's true. You don't want to be nervous. When Christina had her second C-section with our second daughter... It was a planned C-section, so everyone was extremely uh, calm and at ease going in, and and uh, the surgeons in the room there asked her, "Would you like some music? And what would you like to hear?" So they played yeah. it. They played it in the room, in the operating room. Same thing happened with uh, with Jenny and Jasper. Yeah, it was it was well, it was you know planned three days before it actually happened, but you know as far as planning goes, that's about as planned as we got. Right. But uh, yeah, it was the same kind of thing. Everybody was. Uh, relaxed and, uh, you know, competent. Exactly. I didn't, I didn't, don't recall seeing any, uh, armed people in the room <laughs> making sure that it went well. Oh, they were there. You just weren't paying attention. Yeah. I, I you know, I was focused on other things at the time. Yeah. Uh, our first, I say that our second C-section was planned because the first one was unplanned. It wasn't an emergency, but it was unplanned because we yeah. were there trying to, uh, give birth the natural way i suppose they say but uh that wasn't working out so they had to go c-section yeah plan b it's like uh yeah we're gonna switch gears here yeah and uh you know go this other way yeah 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 i i was in well long story but i i was one of the people of course i was there having to make that call they basically left it up to us they said we yeah, can keep course. trying to do what we're going to do here here are the risks or we can do this absolutely uh, which is you know in my opinion good healthcare. uh yes absolutely but I, I think, well, also good healthcare would be recognizing when people may not be in the state of mind to make a decision like that, but luckily we were. Anyways, yeah. rat hole. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing about this surgery scene with Alicia, though, is there's two things about it that kind of bothered me. One is just how I got this really creepy sort of sexist vibe from all these a-holes in this room. Lines like... Was it the doctor or was it the proctor who said something like, I've seen uh, one woman hold down a man that 10 guys couldn't? Yep. When when Alicia said, you know, two or three of these guys could hold you down better than me, probably, um, because he was going to have this surgery without 
without being uh, under general anesthetic. Uh, and, and that line I just thought was creepy and sort of awkward, made me feel weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a doctor and it was, uh, it was, yeah, it definitely was kind of had a, a sexist undertone. I think that the reason they got her to distract him was, uh, you know, let's just get a pretty girl in here to, uh, to talk to him. Well, and that's what I was thinking to myself. It's like, next they're going to say, like, they're going to ask her to take her top off or something to keep him distracted. And I'm like, please don't do that because that's, I know this isn't supposed to be a nice guy or anything, but that's just not going to be right. And I just felt those undertones in the whole scene. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're going to do spinal surgery, you know, have some anesthetic. And I don't give a shit how tough of a guy you are. Uh, you're going to squirm. Oh, absolutely. If somebody's cutting into your friggin' lower back, you're going to squirm. Yeah, you are going to squirm and you are not going to feel nice. Uh, but that leads me to my other point about this surgery scene is that uh, the dude has, as you said, spinal surgery and he was wide awake, which I think is dumb. And then it seemed like right after he was finished, he was able to just sit right up on that table and yeah, maybe in a little pain, a little bit of soreness, but he was able to just sit up and practically go about his day. And that just seems so ridiculous that in re because in real life, people would need days, if not weeks to recover from something like that and probably not be able to move for 24 to 48 hours. Don't yeah, you think? And, you know, physically immobilized. Exactly. Physically immobilized to, to, to let things heal and set. It was, it just seems so stupid that they do this surgery and then he's able to sit up and he's practically fine. Yeah. I've, you know put together baby furniture and needed more recovery time than this guy had. <laughs> Seriously, man. <laughs> just, it's funny you say that just today, earlier today at work, I got a new little filing cabinet and I had to put it together. And, uh, uh, I was sitting on the floor doing that for a while. I could barely stand up when I was done. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm much better at getting up off the floor, uh, now than I was before Jasper was born. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm much uh, much more at ease uh, getting up and down off the floor. Well, you've been practicing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I have been practicing. <laughs> yeah. Well. But, uh, yeah. They're putting together that. Uh, you know, the first time I put together his crib. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I just need a few minutes. <laughs> I gotta just. I, I'd yeah, lie I, down in this crib if I could. <laughs> yeah. Probably could. That was a tough friggin' crib. Yeah. Well, a dude fell into it. Remember? <laughs> uh, yeah, he fell into it. It's still perfect condition. That's good. Yeah. And, anyway. And hilarious. <laughs> uh, so anyways, Proctor just gets up from surgery. I'm like, come on. He would need at least, at least a few days to like be back on his feet and probably a lot more. Yeah. Unless he's on the, I'm going to bring everything back to Lost unless he's on the island because that's where you recover fast. Well, I suppose that's where you recover fast. Um, but I don't think they're on the island. Uh, no, so they're, they're, uh, they're definitely not on the island. Okay. So I think the other big thing really in this episode for me is what's going on with Daniel and Nick in the apparent torture scene. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I want to know if, if there was anything in this episode that led up to Daniel confronting Nick about these things. There's a scene earlier on when Walker comes to give him um, Ophelia's cross necklace, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, is that 
Is that when Daniel started thinking, wait, maybe there's more to this story? Or do you think he already had that in the back of his mind? And he was just kind of holding on to it. He wanted somebody to blame, right? Like he obviously wanted somebody to blame. But this scene is the biggest problem I had with this episode. It came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, him digging and digging and digging and digging because a zombie herd has to be directed by somebody and therefore that person is to blame for my daughter's death is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just the whole premise itself is dumb and it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, being able to detect a lie, fine, but it just, it's, it came so far out of left field and didn't make any sense whatsoever uh, why he was going down this road. Every herd needs a shepherd. That's not true. Well, you know, there's herds of wild animals out there that uh, just hang out together without human intervention. Right. And they're fine. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at here is, is it, it, it did feel a little out of left field to me too. I didn't see this coming at all. And that's why I started wondering, is there something in this episode that, that gave Daniel the motivation to start having these thoughts and then decide that he's going to use his experience as a torturer against Nick to get some answers. And I thought maybe that scene with Walker is what did it, but I'm not sure there was enough information in that moment for, for it to be the only push Daniel needed. So I got to assume that he already suspected something was up and he, as you said, wanted someone to blame and needed someone to blame. Yeah. It was, yeah, this whole, the whole plot line was thin. Like, it didn't make any sense to me. Having to build, you know, mentally construct a backstory in order to be have this make sense is frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, two things. So, the, well, the one thing I did like about it is is Nick's performance. Frank Delane, uh, in this scene, I thought did a great job. And later on, there's a scene where he's talking to Madison, did a great job. So I do think it was portrayed from an acting standpoint, really, really well. But the two things about it that kind of bothered me, and you've already touched on this, is one, um, Daniel seemed to come up with this whole backstory uh, for what happened. And all he was doing was trying to bully Nick into uh, into sort of agreeing or confirming this backstory that he'd made up, whether it was real or not. Yeah. And that's the tech I would have taken if Daniel had been questioning me. Like uh, I would have said, obviously you're looking for someone to blame. You're looking for, uh, if you want someone to blame, I can give you someone to blame, but it's not necessarily going to be, uh, true. Cause. But you can't say that to your torturer, right? That's just going to get you tortured more, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I've never been tortured. I've never really been questioned by any kind of authority other than my mom. And she wasn't this good. That's for sure. I can <laughs> lie to my mother. <laughs> I was a very good liar. Yeah. I still am, but I only lie for good, not for evil now. I refuse to lie for uh, evil. Well, that's good. Use your powers for good, Jason. That's important. That, that's right. I lie to my wife about what I'm getting her for Christmas. Oh, see, that's okay. See, that's okay. Uh-huh. But that's it. <laughs> right. You right? T- and usually I don't have to. Uh, you know, she's... I'm going out for a while. It's around Christmas time. Uh, she says, where are you going? Uh, can you pick me up? Whatever. And it's like, I'm not telling you where I'm going. Like, <laughs> it's that simple. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. I'll be back in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's not lying. I'm I'm going out to see another woman, but I'm not telling you where. <laughs> yes, that's right. I'm going to one of the hotels around here to meet up with someone. No, no, no. She I'm... happens to work in a jewelry store. <laughs> right. Right? And that's, <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, anyways, yeah. So I, I think that Daniel was, I think he was just, he just seemed to have all the information already and he seemed so firm in believing it. He just needed Nick to say it. Um, so I did enjoy when Nick manages, manages to convince him that it was Jake though. I thought Nick's story about Jake doing it, um, was, was some quick thinking on Nick's part and, you know, admitting that he was the one who killed Otto is what clinched it, right? I killed his father. So Jake went crazy and brought the horde back to the ranch. Plausible story. Yeah. I think so. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. But the other thing is I couldn't help but think, okay, Daniel has locked Nick in this room. He is questioning him. He's threatening to, to hurt him if he doesn't say the right things. Daniel has to know that if anything happens to Nick, he, you know, he's going to have to deal with Madison. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's going to have to deal with her and he cannot possibly in any way whatsoever justify hurting or killing Nick to Madison. And if Madison does find this out, what's going to stop her from retaliating against Daniel? And I, and I feel like Daniel should be smart enough to kind of have thought this through and maybe come up with a different plan because I don't feel like getting Nick in a room and threatening to hurt him and on all this is the right move here, considering the dynamic between everybody. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And I agree with you and I can't, other than coming up with some kind of uh, constructed backstory to explain it, I can't. Yeah. Uh, it's not there in the episode. And, and the other thing is one more thing. You know, I have a hard time, to be honest, believing that Nick wouldn't be able to overpower Daniel. Um, Nick was not tied to a chair. He was not restrained in any way. I, admittedly, Daniel probably had a weapon on him. But, you know, if Nick acted fast enough, I feel like he could probably knock that guy down and beat him up enough to escape. Maybe. he He's a young, healthy, strong guy. Let's be honest. Daniel is an older guy. Yes, he has experience with this sort of thing. But... The element of surprise goes a long way, and um, I really think if Nick had reacted quick enough, he might have been able to take out Daniel. And so it just seems like Daniel didn't think anything through here, and uh, it didn't. The whole thing didn't really didn't really work for me, even though I thought Frank Delane's performance was really great. Yeah, you can learn a lot from what they say to do when you encounter a black bear or a brown bear. Punch it in the uh, nose. Uh, element of surprise, yell mm -hmm. real loud and, yeah. uh, scare, try and scare him off. If you have a shotgun, fire it off into the air. Uh, that'll work. Why and not it, just fire it at the bear? Uh, well, you don't want to hurt the bear unless you absolutely have to. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it depends on what the bear is doing, right? If you just happen to go come across a bear and you, you know, you're cross paths and he's looking at you like, holy shit, a human. And you're going, holy shit, a bear. And you fire into the air. It's going to scare him. Right. Right. It's going to run off or, you know, in worst case scenario, if you have a stick or something, whack him in the nose as hard as you can or punch him or kick him or do something in the nose. Uh, and that'll sometimes 
uh, make them run away. It depends on how hungry they are, right? Sure. How angry they are. If they're like, uh, you know, I'm going to play with this thing because I don't know what it is. And it punches you in the nose. You're like, okay, I, it's not worth it. I'm going to go fish. <laughs> yeah, they don't punch right? back. Grizzly bears, that don't work. No. Grizzly polar bears, that don't work. Right. Those are the mean uh, bears. Those are the big, big mean bears. They're like, yeah, that's a, they look at you and they go, yeah, that's, that's tasty. That looks real tasty. Yeah. Instead of, I wonder what that is. Right. <laughs> kind of big, but I'll try chewing on it and see what happens. See what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to like it, but I'm going yeah. to. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the same thing Nick could do with Daniel, right? Yell real loud, whack him on the nose, try and scare him off. <laughs> well, it yeah, work. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if he had just sprung up from that bed all of a sudden Daniel's sitting on a chair in front of him he doesn't have a knife out he doesn't have a gun on him you you spring up get him in the neck he goes backwards in that chair and game over man but anyways they decide to talk it out and that's that later on though Daniel takes a a wound from um from Strand he gets shot through the cheek not in this scene but later on in the episode uh, you know, they're, they're confronting each awesome. other and they struggle and Strand manages to get the gun pointed at Daniel, fires it and shoots his cheek off. So that, that was awesome. It reminded me of Fargo. Uh, yeah, I guess so a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, here's the thing about this is I thought, well, that's a pretty bad wound. I think Daniel is probably done. Um, but turns out he wasn't, turns out he comes back a little bit later. No, as soon as the, the, gun went off i'm like oh come on it's gonna shoot him through the face he'll be fine like he's good <laughs> well he was so you were right it's uh, like there's uh like if you go in under your jaw like there's it's just muscle and tongue and stuff in there right so you could conceivably have the perfect angle where you'd still have all your teeth but chances are you're gonna lose a big chunk of your jaw yep upper and lower part of your cheek maybe uh, wouldn't have any sinuses anymore. Uh, there's all kinds of nastiness that would kill you yeah. regardless of whether you went through the brain. Right. Like if you immediately went to a, you know, a trauma center, you might be all right with a lot of surgery and a lot of recovery, but, uh, yeah, that's not really a survivable wound in this world. I, I, I got to agree with you. Um, it seemed like it should have been a lot worse, so... Another, another example here of someone, you know, getting wounded extremely badly this time, not by surgery, but by a gun to the chin. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the amount of recovery, recovery time that uh, Daniel had in with this, like he was obviously suffering and stuff, but uh, the amount of recovery time he needed in order to be uh, a coherent human again would be the same as if in the real world, somebody got shot through the hair. Right. right. If somebody had long hair and he got shot through the hair, you're like, ah, oh, shit, now I got to get a haircut. Oh, somebody Son cut my- a- Oh, man. <laughs> and then you're traumatized and you're sitting in a corner for a while going, my hair smells because it's burnt now. It's got, you know, stippling all over it. Now I got to get a haircut. And, oh, I tried to grow my hair for a long time. You need 15, 20 minutes. And then you're like, oh, okay, fine. I'll go and do some stuff and then get a haircut later. Yeah, I'll put a hat on for now. Yeah. So that's the kind of wound he had. It is. was a hair wound. A hair wound. Well, seemed worse than that with all the blood. Yeah. Um, That's mostly it I have for this episode. I did think it was weird that Taka and Crazy Dog just sort of left at one moment. There's like, no, we're out of here, guys. We're heading north. Um, That comes into play later, but 
at the time watching it, I thought that's sort of weird. They're just leaving. There's got to be more to that. And then one other quick moment I thought was great was near the end. There's uh, Daniel comes out to the dam and he looks over and he sees all the water spilling out and he just casually says to himself, damn. (laughs) And I always appreciate a good damn joke. Yeah, <laughs> right. Damn. So that was that. Anything else about this episode, Jason, uh, that you wanted to bring up before we kind of move on to number 16? Oh, uh, Troy got a hammer to the head. Oh, shit. Yeah, Troy. That was in this one? That was in this one. Sorry, I keep, I, 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 uh, I mix up some of these. They all blend together. But Troy, Troy got a hammer to the head. Madison kills Troy and leaves him down there under the dam. Yeah. So he finally got, uh, he finally got killed. He Which did. is what he needed. He did. And it, and it was brought on because um, Madison didn't know that he brought the horde to the ranch and he admitted to doing it. Yeah. So that really pissed her off, I guess. I, I guess so. Finally, finally, they, um, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back and Madison had to do it. All the other stuff Troy did, she let him, you know, have a pass. And you know what? I even thought they started to have a moment there when they were talking earlier, when they were setting up the explosives. It, it seemed like they had that we're all good moment. In fact, they even said that in the episode. Yep. But all it took was the admission of, nope, I ruined everything at that ranch where you wanted to have Christmas dinner. And uh, she hammered him to the side of the face. So apparently there's a number that Madison has in the back of her head of how many people... Uh, he could kill before uh, he needs to be killed. Because mm-hmm. there was that family that left. Uh, that's fine. Uh, there was other people when they first met. They're fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, her family is fine. You know, Strand and her kids are still okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was other people at the ranch. It's just uh, there's some kind of magic number in Madison's head where uh, he just kind of he went over that line, probably by a lot. In this case, because, you know, if it was 15, he went to like 70, right? So, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, he went over that line, so he needed to be killed. He did. Um, I, 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 I'm surprised I forgot to mention this scene uh, before you brought it up, but I do remember thinking as he's kind of talking to her, you, you can see the change in Madison's face almost, right? When she's like, uh, a few minutes ago, we were we were bonding a little bit and we were deciding that we were good with each other. And as he's talking and admitting to what he did and so on, you could see it in her eyes. And then she just loses all, um, any hope she had for him whatsoever and swings that hammer. So I, I did think that was a pretty good scene. And I was glad to see Troy dead, finally. Finally, yeah. So I thought of you when this happened. I'm like, hey, this will make Chris happy. Uh, <laughs> Troy's finally dead. Yep. The only problem I had with this was that Troy didn't blink when uh, when he got hit with a head uh, in the head with a ball peen hammer. Uh, someone will almost always blink when hit in the head with a ball peen hammer. Well, it's like a rule. You would think so, but maybe he's the guy who, who the one guy who doesn't. The one in ten. That uh, the one in 20 that didn't blink because he just, he turned his head and then he looked back at Madison and uh, needed a second whack to the head. Uh, and I don't even know if he, that was a, a long distance shot, that one, but uh, uh, I didn't see him blink. Okay. Well. I don't believe that. I believe when you get hit with a hit in the head with a ball peen hammer, you blink. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Uh, but after that first hit, I think he would have gone down anyways. I'm not sure... I'm not sure you can get hit once that hard and 
like the blood started coming down the side of his face. Again, maybe with the right treatment, you survive that. But I felt like he sort started to lose consciousness, and then she bonked him again, and down he went. Yeah, you know, double tap, double tap, dink dink. There you go. Uh, all right, let's move on to episode sixteen. Um, after all that, this episode opens with the Christmas scene. So uh, here we go. We're seeing Madison. And we're seeing what she wants for her life at some point, you know, to do Christmas dinner and everyone's, everyone's, uh, kind of happy. So when this episode started, this was kind of a Desmond moment for me, you know, lost fans will know what that means mm-hmm. where you, you're thrown into something. You really don't know what's going on, although it doesn't take too long to figure it out. But, uh, um, I liked it. I thought it was, I thought all of the Christmas dreams i guess we'll call them in this episode were really really well done and i liked how they sort of bookended and 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 framed the episode at the beginning the middle and the end um so i i I really enjoyed them and there's things about each one that i enjoyed uh at the first one at the beginning of the episode you know she walks outside when the car approaches and she passes some graves and we see alicia's grave Mm -hmm. which is which i was like whoa what's going on there and then uh, Nick and Luciana get out of a get out of the car, and Nick is dressed all in black like it's a funeral. That dude can wear a black suit. I thought he looked <laughs> really good. Nice. <laughs> uh, and they're holding a baby, of course, which was kind of exciting. Um, and and but in general, I liked how, for the most part, at least the first two, these two Christmas sort of scenes start off happy, and then end up in either sadness or horror really for lack of a better term so um i thought that was that was really really well done anything anything about the the opening one or any of the christmas stuff in this episode uh well i liked i liked the christmas stuff i mean the house was probably i mean it's it's a dream sequence sequence right so you know if my house was decorated that much for christmas i'd go crazy but that's just me well I i like christmas and I you know, will put up lights and have a tree, but, you know, having stuff everywhere, I'd be, I'd feel claustrophobic and a little overwhelmed. Well, fair enough, but it's a dream sequence. So it's, it's a dream sequence. It's, yeah. You know, if you're going to dream about Christmas, you're going to dream about, you know, going all the way. It's extreme Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but I thought they were good. Um, did you have something else? No, just, you know, the, the dream sequences, we've been seeing more and more of these as, uh, as the two shows progress, right. Of what someone, uh, wants and, or can't have, right. Like yeah. the, like the supper sequence when, uh, Glenn was there, uh, in the, in the big show. And that, that made me sad. This one didn't make me as sad as, uh, as you know, the one where, oh, Glenn's dead. Yeah, that was a, a huge reminder that Glenn, you know, was dead. You're right. I didn't feel as sad in this one, but I did sort of, I did get it. You know, this is what Madison wanted for her and her family, and she's never going to have it. And uh, to throw in the Alicia grave, I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. I mean, are they going to explain that or or what? Or is it just part of this wacky dream? I don't know. Um, that's what she wants. Secretly, she wants Alicia to die. Maybe. Maybe she's already considered her, you know, she left, she's dead to me. Dead to her, exactly. I think that's a pretty good uh, assessment. Um, The second, the the, the actual dinner scene, though, in the middle of the episode, um, 
you know, I really enjoyed when Strand showed up with a big stack of presents and a huge smile. <laughs> you know, I thought this one, it was almost silly in a way, like it was silly and comical uh, until that moment where it, she opens the or takes the lid off the turkey and it turns into a massive bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People's arms getting chopped off, Otto's head in place of the turkey. Um and yet it, it continued to be kind of silly and ridiculous because some of the people continued to eat while blood is just covering the table, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a, an amazing sort of uh, contrast of, of the, the starting off with the nice Christmas and then turning into this huge gory bloodbath, yet people are still eating. So they had a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. She's got some sick Christmas wishes. Well, pretty pretty crazy shit yeah <laughs> that's what she wants for christmas man well, i don't think that's what she wants she wants the I nice dinner she might be going evil and this is what she's thinking you know mm. what i really want all i want for christmas is a bloodbath on the table well i think <laughs> i think that's yeah what she's afraid she'll get or something like that but uh you know madison runs outside and she's surrounded by graves and i thought that was really cool it just gives it's a reminder of how many people have died and how many people have died because of her you know yeah. So all this stuff I thought was was really great and it worked well with the episode. Um the final dream sequence towards the end uh we'll talk about at the end. Okay. Um now before we really get into sort of the climax of this episode, there's a few things we got to go through. I think the scene near the beginning where Madison and Nick are are still in hiding where Strand put them and they're having this conversation and and Nick is essentially accusing his mother of like you know, taking things too far. Where is it going to end? He accuses her of, uh, of someday maybe having to even kill him because, you know, she'll have to. I love this scene so much. I yeah. thought both actors were incredible and I thought the, the writing was really good. They were so raw and honest with each other, like as a mother and son. Really, really, I thought was well done. It was really amazing. And Madison's delivery of the fuck you to Nick was one <laughs> of my favorite fuck yous of all time. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. This was, it was a good scene. It was so good, man. It was, it was just the two of them just having it out, right? And be totally honest with each other. Nick saying what he thinks and Madison trying to say, I would never do that. You're my family and fuck you for saying so, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I thought it was great. It was um, good. It was very good. Uh, so, yeah. So that was amazing. And then, you know, Strange shows up and he uh, he comes and proposes the good old Chewy prisoner transfer plan. Yeah. <laughs> put on these <laughs> put on these disguises and I'll walk you right out of here. Everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know that's not going to go so well. Um, but before that, we have all the stuff again with Alicia and proctor who is now at the dam you know and they've they've moved in a little bit um this is where i really started to think that ray mckinnon did a great job as this character what i liked most about him is how sort of calm a demeanor he had yet he was still menacing and i think because of his calm demeanor he's able to get the truth out of people he even kind of says that right nobody ever lies to him and he hates liars yep um and you know even alicia everything alicia says to him is the truth she 
She admits her mother's name. She admits she knows Strand. She admits to everything he, he asks her about. And I think that's because of the way this Proctor character is. I thought, uh, I thought he did a really, really great job. That's why I was excited to see him in the, in this role. Cause I, I know he's, he's like that, that, uh, that calm kind of, uh, I looked him up just uh, while we were, after we initially talked to him, talked about him and he was in Sons of Anarchy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is just a, such a solid actor when it comes to this kind of thing. And he, uh, you know, in Deadwood and this and Sons of Anarchy, uh, he's just, he's so good. And I was very happy. I'm happy whenever I see him on the screen. Yeah. Well, and like, he's so calm, like he comes off as a guy that you, you want to tell the truth to almost, you know what I mean? And that's, yeah. that's the way he's, this character's is, he's doing it. Um, but I started to think, you know, do you think of him as evil though? Especially at this point, because I kind of didn't, I must admit. I looked at him and was like, okay, here's a guy. Yeah, you know, to be fair, he's willing to kill people, but who the hell isn't in this world? All of our main characters that we're supposed to like have killed people. And I'm not sure that's a measure of evilness anymore, at least by Walking Dead standards. So when you think about Proctor John, is he evil or is he just a guy who's trying to do something and set up these trading posts and set up this system for the movement of goods in this this new world? And uh, I think it's, well, I think it's not clear. Well, to, to, to answer your question, yeah, it, it is evil. I mean, killing people in order to do good is still evil. Okay. Well, then every single character except for Strand who admits he hasn't killed anyone yet is- Absolutely. Is evil. Well, yeah, well, yeah, okay. They're, they're all bad people. Like they're all, uh, it, Doing things, uh, the way you do things is, is important. It's not just, uh, you know, the, the ends do not justify the means. The ends justifying the means. I think it was Machiavelli that actually said that. So it's, uh, it's not a good way of looking at things. No, you're right. Um, but, but my point is just that, you know, when you factor in the fact that everybody has, has done all these terrible things, yet we think of Madison generally as a good person. We think of Nick and Alicia as good people. This guy comes along and he's done the same sorts of things, but we think of him as an evil person or we're supposed to think of him as an evil bad guy. But but the way he played the character and his demeanor made me question that. Oh, yeah, I can see that. You know, it's a sliding scale now that we have all of the other people involved in uh, in the discussion, right? But as an absolute, it is evil. Uh, as a sliding scale with everybody else here, is it so bad? Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, I'm, I'm coming around. I'm coming you around. You know, he's he's done terrible things, and we don't know that much about him. We may not know the extent of the terrible things he's done, but. He's set up a trading post. He's set up some rules. He's working on something, you know. Is <laughs> is he a bad guy or is he just a guy who's trying to get something done and doing it in a bad way, maybe? But that's what right. I liked about it. That's what I thought was so great about this character. Um, the only thing I didn't like about him, and this kind of got strengthened as the episode went on a little bit, is he had a little bit of a super villain thing going where he'd... He'd explain his whole plan 
and then he'd draw the whole thing out for far too long. Like when he's got them all in the room later in the episode and he's explaining, I've got to kill her now because I got to kill her brother, but I'm going to kill her first. So she doesn't have to see, you know, witness me kill the rest of her family. And he's talking to her. I'm like, you know what? If you're going to kill them, pick up a gun and start pulling yeah, the trigger. Yeah. Just pull the trigger. I've got a gun. I'll do it right now. Right. From Austin Powers and Scott. Right. Exactly. It's like, you know, and uh, what you're talking about is monologuing from uh, uh, The Incredibles, like getting someone to monologue, mm-hmm. the, the, the evil bad guy. Yeah. And, and this guy did that a little bit and then he'd walk them and he says he's going to do that. And then instead of doing it, he walks them all out onto the dam and then they talk some more and... Uh, but he didn't go as far as to set up a situation in which they would die and then leave, right? That's where uh, he didn't actually go all the way into the typical uh, evil bad guy. It's very true. At least he didn't walk them out all onto that dam and then then leave and assume that one of the henchmen was going to take it from there. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. But I couldn't help but think, uh, you know what? You're talking too much. This is going to backfire for you. Just start killing people if that's what Just you want to do. Just pull the trigger, man. Yeah. yeah like, exactly. why make a show of it? Why make a show of it? There you go. Um, but anyways, let's oh, get- Oh, wait. What? It's a show. We're watching a show. He's got to make a show of it. Nah, the whole have... point is this is a show. Well, he doesn't have to make so much of a show about it. How about that? Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's, speaking of, of the sort of climax of this episode, let's get out to- uh, to to everybody on the dam and um the plan is to he's going to kill them and he allows them the chance to say goodbye which allows nick the chance to pickpocket the detonator from strand who was going to use it anyways or at least threatened to use it but now nick has it and uh we have this whole situation where i'm gonna blow up this dam and we're all gonna die or you can let some of us go and they'll survive. And I'm probably still going to blow up this whole dam. So the rest of us die. Yep. Um, I don't know what you're going to say about all of this, but I really liked it. I thought it was fan freaking tastic. Everything from here on in, I thought was stellar top notch TV. I, uh, I liked it. I liked the drama of it. Uh, I thought, you know, the whole detonator, you know, switch thing was ridiculous but and the fact that the c4 was there at all uh was dumb yeah uh, and but getting in the in the kodiak or uh, what do you call this thing zodiac the, the boat zodiac that's it not the kodiak kodiak something else uh getting in the boat and then the engine dying halfway through was a little tropey for me but uh overall i think uh i agree with you that i i enjoyed it that it was you know nick sacrificing himself and mm-hmm. couldn't go because it would be out of range and uh you know but the the problem i had was nick's going to blow this shit up anyway he has to like there's no reason why he wouldn't blow up the whole dam after his family gets away so why not just kill them all Right now. Well, like shoot Nick in the head because maybe he won't have time to flip the switch. Well, there's that. But I mean, that is a movie and TV show thing that goes back to the beginning of movie and TV shows that the hero always needs time to, to be heroic. Right. Right. Except for speed. You've, you've seen speed. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've seen one of the four only movies that Keanu Reeves Reeves has done that has been actually decent. Uh, As long as it wasn't a period piece. Okay. As long as he's not in a period piece, everything's generally okay. Okay. But uh, Speed is a good movie. I like Speed. Okay. So the beginning of the Speed uh, and the actually the end of Speed when the, the bad guy has the bomb trigger and it's a dead man switch like you don't say okay if you shoot me i'm gonna flip this switch yeah, yeah. no you hang on to the switch if you kill me i let go and then it blows up that makes sense sure so okay so this in this scenario we've got uh nick with a detonator that is armed so he's flipped one of the two switches necessary to blow up the dam uh so we've accepted that he is saying, let my family go or I'll blow up the dam right now. If you let my family go, I'll blow up the dam later. So why not just shoot him in the head? Maybe he won't put the, flip the switch. I agree. I, I know. But uh, again, I just think you got to let that go. And Nick's going to do his thing. Um, what I liked, I loved Nick just with the detonator. You know, I he was so... You just get the feeling that he was making it all up as he goes along, which I think was actually kind of great because it's Nick. He doesn't know what to do in this situation. And he's doing things like uh, it says it's armed. You know, it's like he has no idea. And then he's <laughs> and then Strand tells him, don't touch the button. And he goes, what? The one that says detonate? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's nice that uh, whoever made this project box uh, for uh, labeled you know, the blowing buttons. up the dam, they, they had a label maker. Absolutely. That's nice. That's right. But I, I just liked the fact that Nick felt like he was just reacting and he didn't really have a plan because when he's holding the thing and Proctor John says, what do we do now? Nick has to like think about it for a minute before he he tells him to let Madison, Alicia and Strand go and get on the boat and stuff like that. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but then I also felt like you could really hear and see the pain on everybody's face, you know, when they're saying goodbye and Nick says, this is this is my suicide note. I'm not, I'm not getting out of this. I'm saving you guys and I'm doing this for you. I thought that was really, really intense and, and awesome. Um, and then I started thinking about, about the choice that Nick had to make when he's up there on that dam and he's about to be overwhelmed by the guys, but he's looking down and he knows the boat isn't far enough away yet. So he has to choose in that moment, whether to either, whether to blow up the dam and probably, um, probably kill himself and the boat will be, you know, not far enough away. So it'll get sucked back through or to not do it. And he chooses to do it, which was a little bit surprising for me. He thought that uh, not that I didn't, in the end? not that I didn't think they were going to blow up the dam. I was pretty sure this dam is exploding this season, no matter what, but I didn't think that I thought maybe Nick would chicken out and not do it or something. And, you know, they'd get away in the boat and then through some other, you know, uh, through something else, the dam would get blown up or somebody else would have to blow it up for some other reason. Right. Like somebody used a, a walkie talkie that happened to be on the same frequency. Right. <laughs> and since it's already armed, the, uh, the frequency, uh, right. would have triggered it. Would have triggered it. Exactly. Something along those lines. But Nick decides to do it. He's like, you know what? I'm blowing up this dam and, uh, to hell or high water. <laughs> yeah, you set up a you set up an explosion. That explosion wants to go off. Absolutely, right? it, it wants, it wants to, go to off. become what it what it's meant to become. It's very uh, very cathartic to to have something allow something to become itself. There you go. 
Now, I said a few minutes ago that I loved everything about this damn confrontation scene, but there was one thing that I'm not so sure about, and Jason, I want you to tell me that this is okay. The, that the sniper team showed up in a convenient time and place? Well, that there were twice, kind of two times, that people saved the day just at the last moment. And one was Walker and Crazy Dog, snipers on the hill. And of course, the second time was Daniel, who seemingly had no ill effects from being shot in the face, who showed up and started killing people as well. I just assume he got shot in the hair. That's that's basically what I was thinking. Yeah. They shot his beard. They shot they shot his beard off, exactly. <laughs> uh, but my point is, you know, Nick was given a lot of second chances here when, you know, he he needed the time and conveniently he he still had or conveniently he was given that time. So was that a problem for you or did it not change anything? It didn't <sighs> I had a problem with the uh, with the sniper team showing up uh, in a convenient time and place. Like just, you know, I'm sure Walker took off earlier and then he just kind of shows up and happens to have uh, the equipment, the timing, the skills, and the lo- location all uh, come together where they could just, um, you know, not have the dramatic finale that has been building allow it to, to not allowing it to become itself like there's got to be consequences this is the same thing as the friggin' tiger showing up at the uh, end of the uh, last season of the walking dead it just comes out of nowhere and saves the day right at least they didn't have a tiger at the very least do you know what day. i think is different about this though is that even though they did kind of save the day they didn't change the outcome yes they gave nick a little bit more time same thing with Daniel when he shows up, but the dam still exploded, the boat still got sucked in, and a lot of characters' fates are unknown. And I think that's why it didn't bother me. That's why it worked, because sure, they were there to help, and it was very convenient, and they were in the right place at the right time with the right uh, equipment, but it didn't change the outcome of the scene. If, if it had, it would have felt like... It was an intrusion, kind of, a sort of a storytelling intrusion, you know? Right. So that's, I think that's why it worked for me. And I, I realized that when I started thinking about what other ways this scene could have gone. You know, it could have gone that, that uh, the, well, the biggest one is that the dam doesn't blow up and the boat gets away and Nick is not killed. He's just taken hostage or something like that, right? And I don't think that, I would have liked that as much. I don't think it would have worked as well. Um but they, they kind of set something up and and they committed to it. Even though there was a couple of scenes where they gave Nick a second chance. So that's why right. it worked for me, I think. Okay, yeah, did, you know, put that way, it makes sense. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> and no, and it's kind of good. Like, uh, yeah, sure, it bought, them, bought Nick some time, but uh, really nothing changed because of it. No, it, it, it's it's like... They weren't like there's his savior, like swooping in at the last second to save the day. They tried. It made the scene a little more interesting. But at the end of the day, all the stuff happened, like all the bad stuff happened. And that boat that you you kind of assume is going to get away did not get away. It got sucked back into that dam, as far as we know, um, because we don't actually see it going through. 
What we do see, though, after the final commercial break is basically the, you know, the last block of this episode is all Madison. We, we cut between her underwater in some beautiful underwater shots just of her floating and debris all around her and her basically drowning. And we cut to her back in her sort of dream sequence with the Christmas time stuff. And she stands, she kneels down in front of um, Jeremiah Otto's grave. And uh, in what is quickly becoming one of my favorite scenes of this whole episode, a hand comes up from the grave and drags her, <laughs> drags her, pulls her into the dirt. And we're, we intercut between her being pulled into the dirt and being underwater and drowning. Yep. And, you know, the water is kind of goldish brown color like the dirt. And it all, for me, just lined up so well, it was so fantastic and, and just evocative. And uh, I, I thought it was amazing. And, and then having her struggling back up to the surface of the water and of the dirt and having uh, Travis show up and pull her out, you know, it was great. It was really good. I, I did uh, enjoy this as well. I, I was half expecting the dam not to blow up at all. Yeah. Uh, through this, uh, the whole episode and the whole season, really. But uh, I'm glad it did blow up. And yeah, this whole uh, this whole sequence was uh, was really well done with the, with the hand coming. I mean, the hand coming out of the grave and pulling her in is kind of tropey, but I got over it pretty quick. It's a zombie trope, though, and it's something we haven't really seen in either show. And That's true. And And... I'm okay with it. I think it looked good. I think it was, it just, it, you know, it, she was drowning and she was being pulled into the dirt and she was drowning under the pressure of all of this, of everything that she'd been through and literally drowning because she'd just fallen out of a boat into a, <laughs> into a dam that was exploded. Yep. So, you know, I think it was really amazing. And a lot of it was played, um, incidentally against the song called Long Way Around the Sea by a band from Minnesota called Low. And this is a band I've known for a long time. And as soon as I heard the song, uh, I was excited because I recognized it immediately. And I was also excited because I've been listening to these guys for a long time. And it made me happy to hear them like on like a mainstream show like this. So awesome. Uh, hopefully they uh, are laughing all the way to the bank because of that. But um, Madison comes back to the surface. She washes up downstream somewhere, um, you know, meets a little girl. People are filling their jugs with the now free water for everybody. And um, I thought this was an, uh, just an amazing ending to the season because we know Madison's safe, but we don't know what the fate of Nick is. Daniel, Strand, Alicia, or Proctor John, you know, we don't know where any of those people are, whether they're alive or dead or what. And, uh, I think there's plenty of questions to ask going into season four. Yeah. I like the double, uh, uh, the double symbolism of being reborn. Cause anytime you, you get washed away with water, uh, it symbolizes, uh, you know, being, uh, baptized and reborn. Mm -hmm. Your sins are washed away and the symbolism of birth coming out of the grave and being basically born again. So, uh, we got, you know, two, uh, one, uh, one fantasy, one real 
symbolism of her uh, being saved and reborn at the same time. They, I thought was really neat. <laughs> they sure loaded a lot of just the regeneration theme in there, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> you know, start over. Uh, everybody's dead. Actually, nobody's dead. I mean, everybody's going to survive, right? Dr. John, Nick, Alicia, Strand, uh, Daniel. Like, no way everybody's dead. I, yeah. I mean, I, I assume all those people are still alive, but what I like about it is the show gave us something, right? It gave us a really great ending for Madison and it didn't, it didn't need to give us the answers on all those other characters because we got something unlike a certain other cliffhanger I've talked about on this podcast a lot, which didn't give us anything. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's why it sucked so badly. But this one, these guys, these guys stuck the landing. These guys nailed the end and, and I thought they did a really good job. Um, I think it's also interesting that you say that this is just a, a starting over point because don't forget, this is it for Dave Erickson. He's done as showrunner on season three and we have yep. new guys coming in on season four. So A, I think this is a complete restart in a lot of ways so that the new guy coming in can do whatever he wants. And B, I think he's got some big shoes to fill at this point because I think Dave did a great job wrapping up season three. Right. I mean, this whole thing could turn into a procedural sitcom at this point. I mean, anything could happen. <laughs> Almost anything could happen. Yeah. I mean, we know it's going to be about Madison trying to find her family, <laughs> but, but <laughs> yeah. anything, anything could happen. So well done. Fear the Walking Dead, everybody involved. I think season three ended up being really solid. A few stinkers here and there, but it was pretty good, man. It was really good. Yeah. So. I'm excited. I think I think a lot of the problems I had with these last two episodes uh, fall into the category of nitpicking. Now that I've you know we've had a chance to discuss them, I think really, uh, you know, the biggest problem I had was some of the writing uh, motivations for Daniel. Mm -hmm. uh, other than that, uh, I didn't like where the C4 came from and the fact that it was there at all. But how the hell else are you going to blow up the dam? Mm -hmm. You're going to have some kind of uh, cosmic event is it going to be a meteor that'd be cool <laughs> meteor comes down strikes the dam blows the whole thing up yeah that'll work that'll work for me it'd be a little out of nowhere but sure well work. i mean it was kind of out of nowhere anyway yeah but, I suppose. Uh, overall i think uh these last two episodes i think you're right i think they stuck the landing especially with the uh the double symbolism at the end that i really enjoyed yeah i you know i i agree with you that the the um uh uh, the C4 thing is a, is a little crazy, but I'm willing to let that go. Uh, and, you know, I think, um, I think the torture scene with Daniel again, doesn't work that well for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but those you're right. I mean, I, I think in a way they're sort of nitpicks, maybe not. I mean, it depends on what you think is important, but, um, but overall they didn't take away from my almost complete enjoyment of, uh, especially episode 16, but 15 and 16 as a duo too. Right. All right, sir. Let us move into some listener feedback, um, uh, right now. Listener feedback. Okay. One quick note before we read some of these emails, we did get a number of emails, uh, from people regarding the crossover between the two shows and, I'm going to save those for now because we probably have time to talk about them a little bit. And I think what we'll do maybe is a segment on the crossover sometime during the first half of the walking dead season eight, 
So when we have a little bit more time and maybe when people have had a bit more time to think about it, but so keep sending in your ideas for that emails, calls, and we'll do a segment on the potential crossover a little bit later for now. Um, we've, we're going to start with some responses to last week's episode of fear before we have a few, uh, about this week. So, um, this first one comes from Carlos in Tijuana, Mexico. And Carlos says in the episode, El Matadero, is it just me or was this the first time on either show that the word zombie was used right before their drug spree? Nick and Troy are served tacos inside the trading market. Troy asks the waitress what this is, and she says, quesadilla de sesos. Tacos de sesos is cow brain tacos. The waitress responds, antejitos zombie. Antejitos is a Mexican term for snacks. She is referring to brains as zombie snacks. I thought Kirkman once said that the word zombie didn't exist in the entire Walking Dead universe. Has it been said before? I don't believe it has been said, and it wasn't said in English. Uh, true, and it hasn't been said in the TV show, but it has been used in the comic a few times. Oh, it has? Yeah, so to to say that it's it's not true to say that it has not been used in the entire Walking Dead universe, they have dropped the word zombie in the comic a couple times, so the word exists, and, uh, you know, they just haven't really used it on the show, but this was, in a way, the first time. It was also, you know, a lot of people sort of pointed this out because they heard her say that. So uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll say it again. Maybe they won't. But I figured we'd address it. That'd be cool. Say it all the time. It'd be fine. Why not? Yeah, of course. Um, Zach, uh, formerly of Bulls Gap, now from Whitesburg, Tennessee. Oh. He, yeah, he moved, I guess. He wrote in um, regarding Alicia's tattoo. If you recall last week, we were wondering whether she always had that too, tattoo or if she'd just been redrawing it because we didn't really notice it all the time. Um, but Zach wrote in to remind us that in season one, episode four, which was called Not Fade Away, we actually do have a scene of Alicia tattooing herself on the arm. Oh. And I went back to check it and it's when she's in the neighbor's house. I don't know if you remember back then, but she goes into the neighbor's house. She's looking around and... Sure enough, there's a scene with her jabbing something into her arm, a lot of blood, and she's injecting, I guess, the ink into her arm herself and uh, tattooing. So she's had that tattoo. It's been there the whole time. I guess she just wears a lot of long sleeves. I guess so. So just wanted to clear that up in case anyone uh, was wondering. Good to know. Okay. Um, the next four emails are all about uh, the drug stuff and Nick's addiction. And I think I've got a couple from each side of the argument, I guess, here. But we'll start with Andrea from Grand Junction, Colorado. And this is a rather long excerpt from her even longer email, but uh, I thought this was uh, appropriate. Andrea says, The reason Nick takes the pills meant for Ophelia can be traced to the scene with Nick and Madison right beforehand. After Nick tells her Alicia isn't coming, Madison turns to him for comfort and says, I don't know what I'd do without you. This is another moment in a series-long chain of unhealthy mother-son relationship dynamics. From the get-go, it's been shown that while she is a counselor and protective of her children, she also has a very unhealthy and dysfunctional lack of boundaries with them, and like many alcoholic or dry-drunk parents, she turns to them, especially to Nick, for the comfort she needs, that healthy parents get from their spouse or other adults, not their kids. 
She is highly codependent with them, and as much as she protects them, also relies on them for a level of emotional support which is not okay. She often needs to be taken care of one way or another by both kids. This is part of why Alicia says peace out and leaves. So when Nick is sitting there there after his mother's placement of her burden upon him, he is triggered so badly, he says F it and takes the pill. He can't stand the thought or pressure of spending the rest of his life holding his mother's hand as a surrogate husband rather than a loving son. At the end, when he's sobbing about not being able to go back with her, he means uh, with her in this codependent and unnatural relationship they have. That's great. I didn't. Uh, I didn't quite catch that dynamic. Yeah, I. I didn't really think of it that way either, and and I can see that. Um, you know, is that the is that the trigger? the the one single trigger for for Nick's uh taking of the drugs and his addiction I don't I don't know if it is I I don't even think Andrew is necessarily saying that either but um yep. you know it could certainly uh contribute to it and you know if you take that scene for for what it is I mean Madison does put some burden onto Nick and uh she does seem to have a you know, an interesting, to say the least, relationship with, with her kids. So uh, that could be one of the things that drives Nick to take the drugs at that moment. Yep, absolutely. Right? It's all about... That's good. That's a great uh, additional perspective that I hadn't considered. Totally. Um, Sean in Richmond, Virginia writes, I agree with you, Chris. His addiction should have been a bigger issue. As a matter of fact, we are led to believe that he is quote-unquote healed in season two during his stay at La Colonia. Colonia. <laughs> La Colonia. <laughs> if you remember correctly, the pharmacist there has a shit ton of Oxycontin that he uses for trade with the gang at the supermarket. When supplies start running low, Nick helps by diluting the pills and repackaging them to get more out of what they have. Never once did he flinch at the thought of using. I guess not. He's, I guess, uh, in this context, he's, was healed until he wasn't anymore. Right. And, and, and that gets back to, uh, one of the things you were saying last week, and I think, um, you know, what some of our other, other listeners were saying too, is that it comes down to triggers and, you know, Andrea described one that is, that I hadn't really thought of about this co this relationship with his mother and putting that pressure on him was one of the triggers for him to take it. Whereas at the time when he was, you know, helping out the people in, uh, with the, with the, the drug deals they were making, that wasn't the same kind of trigger for him. So, um, I do think that it maybe should have been a bigger, his drug addiction should have been a bigger issue all along and maybe show him struggling a little bit more at times, because I don't think yep. the show did that ever really during season two. Um, but at the same time, he maybe just wasn't in the right situations for it. So I, I have a problem with powdered donuts. I love powdered donuts. You, you know, when you go into the grocery store and you can see the, the big box of, uh, like a package of little tiny powdered donuts. I know them. Yeah. So I haven't bought, I've bought, I haven't purchased, uh, those <laughs> tiny donuts in like 10, 15 years. I ain't bought It's been them. a long time. <laughs> Sorry. But so- and I know that I can't buy a package of those because once I buy a package of those, then I'm, I'm, it's like smoking. I'm done. I'm going to be like eating these things for weeks and I'll keep buying more and all that kind of stuff. So I can't buy anymore. I can't, I can't have them around me. It's definitely a trigger. So 
Now, if I was making uh, some kind of dessert that uh, I had to actually put the powdered, you know, the uh, the icing sugar on, and it was like some kind of deep fried little mini donut, like they have at uh, the uh, the 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 exhibition. Uh, you know, all those little donuts and stuff. And if they were all sitting in front of me, I think I'd have a problem. Okay. I, I think I would eat one of these donuts. Uh, Nick didn't, uh, didn't bat an eye. Like he's like working with drugs. Yeah. But he had no problem with the drugs. He just had the skills, uh, in order and the knowledge in order to be able to work with the drugs. Yep. But, uh, yeah, that definitely should have been a trigger. Cause I can tell you if uh, there was a plate of powdered donuts placed in front of me, I would eat one. You'd just stick your face right down in there and start sucking well, them in. Well, I wouldn't go crazy because generally speaking, if a plate is put in front of me, there's other people around and, you know, I have a little bit of self-respect. Just a little. Just, right? just enough not to put my face in a plate of donuts. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. But I would eat a donut and I would be thinking, well, I'll just have one donut because that would be polite, right? Right. This plate of donuts has been put down. I don't want to be rude no. and say, I'll get these goddamn things away from me. I can't have them in the house. I wouldn't <laughs> want to do that. I'd, but, I'd probably have a donut. But next thing you know, all 15 are gone. Yeah. Next thing you know, all the donuts are gone. And like two days later, I'm like sitting in the furnace room with my shirt off with like five boxes of donuts sitting around me, powdered sugar <laughs> all over the place. Uh, coated. Just coated wife, in the stuff. Just coated. My wife walks in. I'm like, don't look at me. <laughs> I'm a monster. <laughs> You know, it just, it, I'd be a mess. Yes. Well, fair enough. And and I, I agree with that. I think it should have been a bigger deal for Nick, just being around the drugs. And, you know, along those lines, Lisa in Queensland, Australia wrote uh, about the same thing. And again, I'm going to pick up her email in the middle here. She says, in season two, Nick didn't appear in the least bit tempted to partake in the drugs, but his drug knowledge was very useful. That would be the behavior of a recovered addict. However, in the latest episode, the access to a single pill completely broke his resolve, and he swallowed it down without a second thought. As a recovering addict myself, I cannot see or be around my drug of choice as I would completely relapse, and I have no idea where I'd go from there. Addiction is that strong, unfortunately. So if Nick, the addict, would have relapsed in that season two episode, now, not suddenly now in season three, that would have been believable. Right. And that's kind of how I'm falling on, on things here. That's, uh, I must admit how I feel. Um, one more email about it from Anwen in New Zealand is, uh, in response to your discussion about Nick and his addiction, I think this was portrayed very realistically. You are never free from the addiction, even when you are not using the substance. I disagree that Nick went through withdrawal and was then fine. I think he has displayed addictive behaviors this whole time, walking through the desert alone using the stench coat and walking with the dead, trying his luck at the supermarket, wanting to initially leave the safety of the ranch, uh, dangerous and reckless behavior with Troy and all that, and all give him the thrill or high which he craves. Also, buddying up with Troy and not killing him when he had the chance shows a classic addict's behavior of surrounding yourself with people who accept or encourage your behavior, your destructive behavior. Right. So and then on the other side of the coin, you know, Anwen is saying that he did display a lot of sort of uh, addictive behaviors all along, whether or not that moment he was in the presence of drugs was enough to get him to use them. So, you know what? I think everyone's going to see this different way. And I hope what I tried to do with these emails is kind of present a few different 
um, perspectives and a few different sides to this this whole idea. Yeah, it looks like it's a complex issue. Well, obviously, uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a complex issue that, um, you know, I... I don't have the personal experience with, and, and some people wrote in and even said that, you know, there's, they sort of, a lot of people wrote and said, you know, you clearly have no idea how addiction works. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, fair enough. But, uh, we've had this conversation before when I trying to explain to you, yeah. uh, when I was smoking, I would try to explain to you why I was smoking. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not even qualified to even call that necessarily like a true addiction. Like, uh, being addicted to cigarettes is very you know, low key, uh, and, you know, powder donuts, even lower key than actual, you know, addiction. Sure. But, uh, you know, trying to explain it to you, explaining it to anybody who doesn't smoke, for example, it's, it's hard to explain right. it other than the pure joy and love of the ritualistic breathing and just, you know, taking a cigarette. Oh, I got to stop. Yeah. Don't, don't uh, even talk yeah, about it. Trying to explain it. It's like trying to explain to a blind person what the color blue smells like. <laughs> right. And I don't mean to laugh at that, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I, I, I get it. I totally understand. And uh, that's all I wanted to do with these emails, just three or four different perspectives. And, and, uh, and, and you're right. You'll never be able to explain to me what it is about smoking that you loved so much because I'll never be able to understand it from right. your perspective. Yeah. And I get that now. <laughs> it took me a little <laughs> while to, to get to that point. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, where are we? Michael in Melbourne, Australia writes that dinner scene. This is about the season finale episodes. That dinner scene featured de featuring deceased characters was as subtle as a smack across the head. We're not here to fuck spiders. But I really thought the writers had it in them to give us something at least a little different to the main show for a season finale. Um, and I, I, I can see that. I, I also had to look up the phrase, we're not here to fuck spiders. <laughs> that sounds like it's a, uh, a common phrase that I am not familiar with. It is Australian slang, according to the Urban Dictionary. The term is derived from and is another way in saying, we're not here to fuck around, I'm here to get the job done. Right. And I got that out of context. Like I understood the context of it. Okay. Well, that that's good. It's, it's a, I wanted to look it up to be safe, but, um, you know, the point is Michael's making is that, uh, you know, we've, we've seen this kind of thing before. And although I think it worked really well in this episode, uh, it is slightly derivative of the, of the main show, but you know, that's okay. If you're going to steal from someone, why not make it your, your, your father? <laughs> <laughs> or you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, you can steal from your dad, no problem. Of course, why not? <laughs> um, steal from those who came before you. and Yeah, stand on the shoulders of giants. See? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If only I could get it out. All right. George in Byron Bay, Australia. Apparently everyone is from Australia or, or New Zealand. <laughs> uh, George <laughs> writes, holy crap. Did you see how fucking amazing that episode was? I haven't been online to see the consensus yet, but I don't even care. I felt compelled to write in and just express how much I love this episode. Season three has, in my opinion, been absolutely fantastic. And this episode was the cherry on top. It had genuine stakes and tension, something I feel the main show has been lacking as of late. Uh, there was no in your face, fuck you of a cliffhanger, no tiger coming the fuck out of nowhere. And best of all, what appeared to be a zombie coming out of an actual grave. This season 
ha has also had such an intense bloodlust which kept kept me on edge at all times the principal man travis was killed in the cold open of season two for fuck's sake ironically I think The Walking Dead has been fearful of killing its characters, whereas Fear the Walking Dead has been, well, fearless. Fearless The Walking Dead. Right. Um, thank you, George, for that. I, you know, that's a glowing review of the cliffhanger, and I pretty much agree with you on all that, because great stuff. Yep. Uh, finally, Mindy here in Tonawanda, New York, writes, one quick observation from the season finale isn't it amazing how fast everyone seems to heal on this show? And, uh, you know, we went through this a little bit already, Jason, but uh, she expands. She says, first, you have Alicia sustaining what looks like a pretty significant T-bone crash. Didn't I see her head crack the window? Uh, only to rouse, get up, and help her new friend start kicking butt. Uh, I swear she had no ill effects from the crash whatsoever. Next... You have the proctor getting back surgery, and by the end of the episode, he's moving around like a cat. No problems there. And third, you have Daniel shot in the face. Shot! And by the end of the episode, he's using it to his advantage, gunning down people left and right, running around like someone half his age. Uh, so Mindy goes on in her email to remind us that the main show has this characteristic as well. People tend to heal very quickly. Um, but the one I forgot to mention earlier or maybe didn't even think of at the time, was Alicia in the car wreck. Her head smashes the side of that wind, that uh, driver's side door, or passenger side, whichever side she was on, and there, it's, it, there's a big head smash mark in it, but she's okay. She's not concussed. She's not knocked out. She's able to that, get right out of that car and fight back. That's the only... Uh, okay, so actually slamming into the door is one thing, but uh, you know, taking a headbutt to the windows is uh, they're meant to do that, right? They're meant to crack and they have, there's two layers of tempered glass with a layer of plastic in between so that it doesn't shatter. Mm -hmm. uh, and having that uh, spiral fracture kind of thing is, uh, it doesn't take a lot of force to do that. And it can actually, in, in some cases, cushion what would normally be a very traumatic blow if, uh, you know, all things... Aside, steering wheels, uh, you know, uh, dashboards, doors, door handles, uh, all seatbelts, all that kind of stuff. But actually headbutting a window. I've known people that have been in accidents where they've uh, gone into the window like that and they have no memory of actually having that happen. They remember being in the accident. And they remember everything. It's like, I don't remember hitting my head and I don't have a head, a head injury. Uh, so... That hitting the window and having it crack like that is not as traumatic as it looks, but she'd also hit the door, right? Like there's all kinds of trauma, trauma that's going on there. Hitting the window is probably the minimal of it. Well, I'll take your word for that on it, but I still think smashing the side of your head into the glass, there's gotta be some ill effects from that. And I don't know, man. The only information I have is anecdotal. I've had people that have been in car accidents that have uh, not been wearing a seatbelt and they've gone into the window and they don't have, uh, you know, significant injury from that. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure you can get significant injury from that. If you go through it. Yeah. Then you got all kinds of problems. Sure. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a terrible, uh, terrible accident. It was more of a glorified fender bender because if, you know... Uh, you don't have to be going very fast in order to get your head into the window. 
coming to a sudden stop. No, you're right. And uh, you don't need a lot of force in order to make that spiral f- fracture in the window either because they're meant to do that. Right. Designed to, to break into tiny little pieces like that. If they break at all, like they're also designed to crack uh, and not shatter unless there's enough force. Right. And and, I'm, and I do know that when I was a kid, I may have told this story on the podcast, but when I was a kid, uh, a friend of mine, I went up to his like grandfather's farm and there was an old rusted out car out in the field. So we decided one day to go and start throwing rocks at it. And we were trying to break the windshield of the car with rocks and we couldn't do it. We could not put a rock through that windshield. Um, now we were kids, we were just throwing them, but we were surprised at how we could break the glass, like by smashing it, but we couldn't yep. like put a hole in it. It's because of the middle layer of plastic. Yeah. There's something in between, right? Yeah. So anyways, um, so, all right, well, I still feel like you know, Alicia probably would have at least been shooken up a little more by that accident, but she seemed to jump right out and be good to go. Yeah, you know, adrenaline will do a lot as well. I right? suppose. Yeah. It'll take all kinds of uh, fatigue and hunger and having to go to the bathroom and little injuries and stuff and just say, fuck it, I'm not paying attention to that shit at all. Yeah. Uh, we got to get some stuff done here. Yeah. Okay. It's adrenaline. We can explain it by adrenaline. Adrenaline's great. Uh, does that explain... Um, uh, Proctor man getting up and walking around or Daniel. No, that, that's just dumb. That, the whole, <laughs> that whole thing was, was, was dumb. He needed anesthetic and to yes. be immobilized. Like yeah. wiggling around while somebody's doing spinal surgery, surgery on you and flinching because you're cutting into them. Oh, ow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Well, not for him. Apparently he is, uh, he is good to go. That guy. Tough guy. Tough guy. Uh, okay. That's, that's all. That's our season finale of, uh, season three, Fear the Walking Dead. Awesome. Now, Jason, there is no rest for the Wicked Podcaster because Walking Dead main show comes back starting Sunday, this very coming Sunday, and I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm dying to have the new show back. I'm ready for it. I'm sitting at the computer right now where I normally watch everything. Uh, I'm sitting here, uh, waiting for it to come on my screen but yeah well me too but as much as i'm excited i kind of wish there was a week in between just for us to wrap up anything with fear and and just you know not take the week off we'd probably do a podcast but wrap up fear and maybe get ready for walking dead to come back but no they're not giving us a week in between we are just getting right into it on sunday and uh um that's okay because i am looking forward to it but that means that next Monday we'll be recording again, back to our sort of more traditional format. And I guess getting back to the two shows a week on the Thursday following with the feedback show. So Super. Uh, don't forget after, you know, Walking Dead premieres for season eight to send in your holy crap moments and send in your feedback uh, because we want to talk about it and read it on the air on the Thursday night. Yes, we do. But before then, we are going to uh, take the rest of this week and relax and get prepared and get going and uh, be ready to go. So that will be awesome. Now, don't forget, uh, in two weeks, I'll, less than two weeks now, I'll be down in Atlanta for Walker Stalker Con Atlanta. Uh, say hi if you see me there and come out to the Omni Hotel Bar at 6 p.m. on Saturday, October the 28th for our little podcast meetup 
there. I'll be there. Jason from the Walking Dead cast will be there. Some other Walking Dead podcasters will be there. And um, and lots of people, lots of fans, hopefully, or lots of listeners. So it cool. should be a good time. Always fun to meet with everyone. So come on out to the Omni Hotel Bar on the 28th at 6. We'll be hanging out there for as long as we want. And maybe later in the evening, making our way over to the uh, the big uh, Walker Stalker zombie bash party they do every every uh, uh, Saturday night in Atlanta. So cool. That should be fun. Um, and of course, please don't forget about our big Talking Dead November charity drive where all the money we make from our Amazon links in the month of November um, will go to the Canadian Cancer Society, Society to support cancer research and that sort of thing. So um, make sure you use those links when you do your shopping. And, uh, you know, if you have some holiday shopping to do, maybe just wait until November 1st or 2nd and get it in then. Don't do it in October. Do it in November. You still have lots of time before Christmas. Who does their holiday shopping in October? Well, I'm sure there's somebody. <laughs> I'm sure have th- you done, have you ever purchased any uh, holiday gift in October? No. I, well, I'm not. A, I do most of mine like after the 20th of December. So yeah, I'm not on a good your way example. home from work the day you finish work before the Christmas break. Exactly. Exactly. I'm on my way home. Oh man, I got to stop and get my wife a gift. (laughs) It's like, I text her and be like, hey, I'm leaving work. I got to stop on the way for something. I'll be home later. (laughs) Yeah. And then you pick up, uh, you know, a box of truffles. Well, you know, I go to the gas station and I get some car air fresheners. Yeah. Uh, Good old pine. Don't go anywhere but pine. I I get the pine, you know, I get, I get some, a fancy jug of milk, the expensive milk, Uh you know, I get expensive milk. Oh yeah, of course. There's the cheap milk and then there's the organic expensive milk. You know, I, uh, a bottle of windshield washer fluid. That's always useful, you know? Yeah. Cause how else are you supposed to clean the windshield? Oh, I don't know. It gets to be minus 40 in the city. Sometimes you need the antifreeze in the... In the yep. windshield washer. So, you know, I got it all figured out, man, but I'm not it's everybody. A bottle of gas line antifreeze. Well, it's always handy to have. Exactly. Maybe a pack of gummy bears, like the, all this good gas station stuff. A yeah. couple of scratch and win cards, you know? Oh yeah. Scratch and win is always a good gift. Always a good gift. It's the gift that might give a lot more. <laughs> and might give you nothing. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That's right. Um, Here's a piece of paper or a million dollars. I don't know. You never know. <laughs> um... Anyways, that's just me and probably you. A lot of other people, they do their shopping earlier, Jason. So don't do your shopping in October. Don't leave it till December like us. Do it in November. Do your Amazon ordering and you know that uh, a little bit of what you spend will come to us and will ultimately get to a, uh, a good cause. So I hope people are willing to do that. And, it, you know, I think it's I think it's going to be a nice thing to do this year. So let's let's rack up a big, big old check we can send in for cancer. Cool. All right. If you want to get in touch before next week, um, send an email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail to send us a uh, message. You can also just record it on your phone and, and email it to us. That is a great way to get really good sound quality too. Um, and of course you can find us on Twitter at talking dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. Um, and I guess that's it for now. So, uh, that was a good one, Jason. Thank you for participating. Thanks to everyone for another great season of fear the walking dead. 
we've got uh, the main show coming back and then more fear after that and at some point a crossover so all kinds of stuff to to keep us going for years to come it sounds like the hits just keep on coming they sure do all right uh until next time everyone my name is chris my name is jason thanks for listening ciao